I might have started volunteering early. Maybe I'd look for part-time work. Maybe I would have done more things uh, socially, perhaps look for those meetups earlier than I did, or, or find something to do. Talking with people about how to have a great retirement. This is the Rock Your Retirement Show. We don't talk about money, but we talk about almost everything else you need to rock your retirement. Now, here's your host, Kathy Klein. Welcome back to Rock Your Retirement, and I am talking today with Ted Carr. And Ted retired in May of 2010. He worked for a biotech company in South San Francisco. And he was able to retire when he wanted to, probably because he did some great financial planning. And you know that we don't really talk about money on this show, but the reason why I brought him on is because he did a couple of things. Number one, he wrote about the six stages of retirement. And he did that because people were always asking him, how were you able to retire so young? So that's why he wrote that. And he also has a podcast called Retirement Journeys, which talks about some of the same things that I talk about. But in addition to that, he talks about money. So he and his wife didn't want to keep rehashing the same question over and over again. And that's why they wrote the six stages of retirement. So we'll talk a little bit about that and some of the other things too. So welcome, Ted. To the show. Oh, hi, Kathy. Thanks so much for inviting me to be on your show. I'm really excited to be here. Well, me too. So tell me, how old were you when you retired? Mid-50s. Uh, my wife was early 50s. And how old are your friends or how old were they when they retired? I mean, why do they keep asking you this? Retiring in mid-50s is not like super uncommon. I mean, I, I hear of people doing it all the time. So how old are most of your friends when they retire? Well, they're a little bit older. And at the time, this is going back to 2010, when everybody was a little bit younger, our friends and family were all still pretty much engaged with um, their occupations, their careers. And maybe they hadn't really put uh, retirement on the front burner. And uh, when they saw that we just kind of upped and left in the middle of our best earnings years, if you will, they were like, wow, you know, I, I can't believe, A, you're doing this, and, and B, that you're actually prepared to do this, and, and you have the means and resources to do it. And so we were we were the subject of a lot of questioning from, from friends and family, and they just wanted to know, um, you know the whole story of, of why we did this and, and how we did it. So why did you do it? Because we had some um, friends who... Uh, had gone through some unexpected health issues in their lives. And in fact, one of our friend's uh, husbands passed away at the age of 55. And that just really shocked us. And we we looked at our own situation and thought, if we could possibly you know, leave the workplace and transfer those years from our employer to us, when we know we have good health and we can go and do things that we enjoy doing, Let's do it. So it was really just being motivated by the fact that nothing about tomorrow is promised and that uh, if you have enough, in a sense, why not go ahead and retire and enjoy life on your own terms? And we all know people who have plenty of money, but they, they continue to work 70, 80 hours a week. Sometimes you think, why? Why are they working? They've got all this, all these assets. Is that? That's true. And we, we had a friend who um, retired last year, 
But for years, we would speak with him and his wife and kind of he wanted to retire, but he just couldn't muster up the nerve in a sense to retire, to walk away from a sure thing into the the world of retirement, which is a lot less certain because he's never done retirement before. And so sometimes it isn't always money, as you're saying. It's more the mustering up the faith in yourself and the the willingness to to take a risk. Is that part of... Now, I don't want to get into all the phases of retirement just yet. I want to save some of the good stuff. But one of your phases of retirement, what's the first one that you mentioned? Pre-retirement. Okay. So is this trying to muster up the courage part of pre-retirement or is it all just about money? Well, pre-retirement is not about mustering up the courage about retiring it because making the decision to retire is not really part of this this model of uh, the six stages of retirement. The Pre-retirement really is about the activity of planning and preparing for your retirement on all these different levels, as you would say, the lifestyle, the financial side of it, the health side of it, and disengaging from the workplace. So the the person who put this model together, Professor Robert Ashley, in 1975, you know, defined pre-retirement as just simply getting to that point in time where you can really start seriously rolling up your sleeves and looking at how you're going to disengage from workplace. Do we have enough money? Have you had enough? And are you ready? And I would say that pre-retirement planning starts in your 20s. <laughs> but that's just my take on the You start your pre-retirement planning very early in your life, if possible, because of the uh, the benefits of um, compounding and whatnot. Uh, so, so anyhow, the decision to retire isn't really expressly uh, stated in the model. Yeah, but it sounds to me like you took that model and you kind of tweaked it a little bit made it your own, right? Cause... Yes, because I didn't, I didn't know the model before I retired. That's one, <laughs> that's, that's one of the things I wish I had known and why I've made this, um, this presentation or this knowledge about the six stages um, uh, preeminent in, in many ways is because, gee, if, I wish if I, if I had had this model, you know, my retirement might have been a little bit, uh, the adjustment might have been a little bit easier. So would you then, if you had to go back and tweak it and make it your own, and it sounds like you've, you've kind of done that, would you put the mindset issues in that pre-retirement stage or would you put it somewhere else? I would definitely put it in the uh, the pre-retirement stage because the decision to retire is part of pre-retirement. It's, it's setting the criteria or the circumstances under which you decide, I am going to retire. And de- so definitely it's a precursor to actually living or adjusting to retirement. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to put you on the spot because we didn't talk about this earlier. And like, what would you do to prepare mentally if you had to do it over again? Um, I think what I would have done differently, maybe maybe a couple things is, one, if I had had this um, knowledge of the six stages of retirement, I, I might have looked at the aspects of adjusting to retirement differently in that, you know, it's not always as you expect it to be, that the reality is different than the um, expectations you have about what retirement is like. So I, I might have been been better able to have prepared to adjust to retirement. And one of the things I would have done differently is maybe have developed interest, uh, social engagement that was more um, part of my daily life while I was still working before I actually retired. So I would have just sort of continued with whatever I was doing prior to retiring. So when you retired... Did you have to make new friends or were you able to expand the friendships that you already made? I mean, because being in your 50s, you 
probably didn't have a lot of friends that were already retired, right? That, that is true. And to compound it, we actually moved to Arizona. So we had two friends here, a couple that had moved from the Bay Area to Arizona. But that was the only, those were the only friends that we had here in, in Arizona. So we were really tasked with having to reinvent ourselves and create a whole new life for ourselves. So yeah, it was it was definitely challenging to to get engaged with uh, on the social side of things. So what did you do? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, I did some volunteering, met some people through volunteering. But what really changed things around for us was uh, I found a meetup group. And the meetup group was called Adjusting to Retirement in North Scottsdale. <laughs> it was something very specific. <laughs> You're like, and that's we me. That's me. Yeah. I mean, it couldn't could have been better uh, stated or more clearly stated. So we, we started attending those meetings and we, we had some very nice people who have since become friends. And also we've had, golly, let's see, uh, three sets of friends that have also moved to this area since we retired. So, uh, so we started to make friends through my volunteer activities through the meetup group, and through people that we know who moved here to this area as well. That's so funny. That's what my parents did. They they were in Alaska. This is my, my dad and my stepmom. They're, they're in Alaska for, I don't know, forever. And then one or a couple of their friends moved to Florida, you know, the big Florida retirement community called the Villages. Mm-hmm. So they moved there. So then my parents got a, a mobile home there. And so they would go there during the winter and more of their friends moved there. And now everybody moves. All their friends in Alaska now live at the village. (laughs) It's just so weird. Well, it's very convenient. And it's apparently it's a common, it's a common phenomenon. Right. But, you know, you also wind up making new friends because that might not happen. You know, you might not have all of your friends from where you were move to, you know, to, to maintain that. So really, it was the volunteer work and the meetup group that brought you a new sort of fresh blood of friends, right? Yeah, and it it took time. It didn't happen overnight. However, as time has gone by, we've become really appreciative of our friends and our lifestyle and proud of, I'll call it an achievement of being able to move from one area to another and uh, live a retirement life that is um, absolutely wonderful in our opinion. That's great. Okay, so let's go and I don't I'm not sure where this fits. So you want to rattle off the six stages and then I'll I'll ask you my questions that I have and we'll figure out where they fit. Okay. The first stage as we mentioned was pre-retirement and the second stage then is uh, retirement. And there are three paths that are part of the retirement phase. Uh, the first is a honeymoon, the second is immediate retirement routine. And the third path that people take upon retirement is called rest and relaxation. And the third phase of um, the six stages, I should say the third stage, <laughs> is uh, <laughs> is disenchantment. And that was the one that caught my attention when I finally learned about this, uh, this model. Stage four, reorientation. And stage five is retirement routine. And stage six, I don't really like the way they word this, but it's called it's called termination of retirement. Going to heaven. That's that's a, the phrase. Oh. <laughs> Stage six. I'm going to heaven. That sounds so much better than termination. Okay, okay. So let me give you an example, and you can tell me where it fits. 
So a lot of times when I talk with retirees, they're either newly retired or if they've been retired for a year, maybe two, they haven't really settled in. But a couple of things might happen. One is they might get depressed. And the second is they start having marriage problems. So let's first, and if you don't want to talk about this, if it's too private, I totally get it. But did you and your wife have any struggles when you retired? Yes, we did. And it's all on me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's always the man's fault. No, just kidding. <laughs> That's what I tell my husband. I don't think you're kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me sort of what those struggles were. And if you had known in advance that this might happen, what you think you would have done? Yeah. Yeah. This is the crux of the matter for me. And again, why and how I got interested in this this model. And that's stage three, the the disenchantment stage, to which I never saw coming because, you know, retirement is painted and portrayed as a blissful state of uh, leisure and fun and relaxation. And about a, you know, a year into it, I started feeling disappointed and detached and unhappy. And I missed feeling productive. I missed my identity from my work. And I started, uh, I'll say, making statements and complaining in ways that were um, aggravating my wife. And uh, she's not the kind of person who wants to hear constant complaining. If you can't solve it or fix it, she doesn't want to just hear constant vetting. Ooh. <laughs> and so, I, I, you know, part of this, this stage... Um, this disenchantment stage is that uh, you need to um, figure out, you know, why this is happening. And, you know, I, I began asking myself, did I leave too much money on the table by retiring early? You know, did I, did I blow it? And did, did we buy the wrong house here in Arizona? And, uh, you know, what, what could I do to replace, you know, the feelings of being connected and, and productive that I got through working and, uh, so it was like, unbeknownst to me, I was like in this disenchantment phase, but I was just really unhappy and it it started to bleed over into my relationship with my wife. And, it, and she told me later that she actually considered moving back to California because I was making her so miserable and causing her to question her own decision to, to retire early and to move to Arizona. So was this before you started volunteering and finding things with Meetup or was it during or after? It was pretty much before. Before. Yeah. Okay. And I know I didn't answer the second part of your question of what would I've done differently. Yeah. But but I think it, it, it kind of gets back to what I said earlier, which is number one, and the great thing about the model is I would have been aware that this phase existed and it was common and my feelings were normal. Right. And not knowing that on some level um, really made me feel that I was alone, that I was the only idiot that was blowing retirement, you know, that uh, and I was I was threatening the best thing of my life, which was my my marriage. So if I had known about this model and this phase and this stage in particular, I would have known it was there. It was looming and that I would have taken preemptive steps to have mitigated it or prevented it from occurring. And the ways I could have done that were, you know, for example, I might have started volunteering early. Maybe I'd look for part-time work. Maybe I would have done more things uh, socially, perhaps look for those meetups earlier than I did or, or find something to do 
and I certainly would have shut up about it uh, and not <laughs> complained, complained to my wife. And then I would have probably confronted an even deeper reason why I was feeling disenchanted or why, why I was feeling unhappy. I would have probably worked on that sooner. So I think it's just if you know in advance and you can see that it could possibly occur, you can take steps to preempt, preempt it or to mitigate the effects and you figure out yourself what that's going to uh, entail for you to get through that stage or not get into that stage. That makes total sense. Did your wife retire too, or did she work outside the home? What what was her situation before you retired? We retired within weeks of each other. So did she have the same feelings of frustration that she wasn't doing what she wanted to do that that you had, or is that more typically a male thing? It's more typically a male thing, I think, because we tend to identify more with our work and that we're giving us a purpose and meaning and social outlets. My wife, she didn't have any issue adjusting to retirement. She likes to do a lot of creative things. She's very um, artistic. She does uh, incredible quilting. So she's one of these people re- that where retirement gave her time and she filled the time by doing things that she was passionate about. Mm-hmm. So we had two entirely different experiences <laughs> when it came to adjusting to retirement. And I wasn't jealous of my wife. I kind of anticipated that she would be fine in retirement. And I always kind of knew that I might be more challenged. Okay. Well, we are going to learn more about the six stages of retirement and some tips when we come back from this break. Right now, we're talking with Ted Carr of the Retirement Journeys podcast, and we'll be right back. Hi, this is Kathy. When I'm not hosting Rock Your Retirement, I'm helping people with their Medicare insurance. One of the times you need to check your Medicare insurance is when you've moved. To get my free guide, Five Things You Need to Know About Medicare When You Are Moving, just go to medicarequick.com slash move. And in the meantime, listen to these cool disclosures. Neither Medicare Quick nor its agents is connected with the federal Medicare program. Medical insurance licensed in the states of California, Florida, Nevada, and Texas, and Medicare Advantage and Prescription Drug Plan service areas vary. California Insurance License 0797566. Hi, I'm Sue Goldstein from San Diego Sexual Medicine, and you're listening to The Rock Your Retirement Show. Welcome back. We're speaking with Ted Carr from the Retirement Journeys podcast, and he's going over the six stages of retirement with us. So, Ted, welcome back. Oh, yeah, glad to be back. (laughs) (laughs) So, We went over the disenchantment stage. I mean, obviously, the retirement stage, we kind of skipped over that because that's when you retire, right? (laughs) Yeah, but it's interesting because of those three paths where, you know, most people take the honeymoon path, which is uh, it's um, where people maybe take time out for travel or projects and they're really busy and in retirement journeys on the website, I call arriving (laughs) in retirement. Mm -hmm. The other people that are kind of like my wife, they have this routine already where they're really busy and work is interfering with their life. And then there are people who do what is called rest and relaxation where they're maybe super duper busy. And I talked to a paralegal and she was just so busy her whole life. When she retired, she was exhausted. She just didn't want to do anything. So (laughs) sit around and watch TV, watch Netflix. Yeah. So, I mean, there's those sort of three ways that people 
adjust to retirement. And and uh, most of us do the honeymoon thing. How exactly does that look? Well, it, people look at it, as I said, like an indefinite vacation, and they're just so amped up to have time. And many, many people opt for travel, and uh, or they do their home improvement projects, or they get involved in some activities. And so they're just really, really having a, a great time because they're not having to work. <laughs> so that would be what some financial advisors call the go-go stage? Maybe. When you're going, going, going. You know, I've always... When I was a financial advisor, we said there's the go-go stage, the slow-go stage, and the no-go stage. (laughs) (laughs) So we talked a little bit about the disenchantment stage, and you went through that. Did your wife go through it, too? Only because she was married to me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So then you said the next stage is reorientation. What did you do during, or are you in that stage now, or what did you do during oh, no, no. that stage? No, um, so reorientation, I call it retirement 2.0, and it, it, you know, it's, it was looking for ways to improve my retirement life. How, how do I get this right? Because I was failing, I was failing retirement, and um, yeah, what, what you have to do is you have to take an inventory of yourself and your retirement experience and then look for ways to make improvements, to make changes. And uh, you know, for some people, it entails existential questions like, who am I? You know, who am I now? What's my identity? What's my purpose? You know, what's the meaning of my life? You know? <laughs> so for me, as I said, I, I, I um, you know, I did both of those things. I, I took an inventory and I started trying new things. And my inventory answered questions that I mentioned um, when I was talking about the, the, um, the disenchantment phase. So, for example, I say, you know, why am I unhappy? You know, did I really regret retiring early? Oh, no, I I didn't. I was happy that I retired early. That really wasn't making me unhappy. Um, when it came to my house, I was you know, kind of thought, well, maybe we didn't buy the house of my dreams, right? And I said, did I have terminal buyer's remorse about our decision to buy this particular house? I said, no, not really. We've made a whole bunch of changes and improvements, and actually things are fine with the house. The house is great. Um, you know, inventory question number three or four, did I miss my paycheck? Oh yeah. (laughs) That was a really tough adjustment psychologically, but we were fortunate to retire in a time of um, strong markets. So we didn't get adversely affected by what's called this sequence of returns risk. Um, and the main thing was I didn't need to go back to work. We were okay financially. Uh, did I miss my feeling of being productive and my work identity? Yes, I did. So that was one thing on the inventory said, Hmm, I missed that. Um, and then was there anything else that was causing me to be unhappy? And yes. And this was the one that was the hardest one for me to um, resolve because it, it, ca- it forced me to confront uh, a deep, you know, long, lifelong issue that was affecting me. And, and that was my negative feelings towards my alcoholic father. And uh, I, I, I suppressed all my feelings throughout my life about that. And and to make a long story short, I decided that I needed to, to fix that or else I didn't think I had a chance to be happy and I'd probably screw up my the one great thing in my life, my marriage. So I ended up getting a book called Forgiveness is a Choice, a step-by-step process for, for resolving anger and restoring hope by Robert D. Enright. And I worked through all the exercises in the book and... It was it was difficult. It was emotional. It was challenging. And 
the, the bottom line is I was able to resolve my feelings about my father and forgive him. And perhaps even more importantly, I ended up being able to give my, to forgive myself. I, I didn't even know that I needed to forgive myself. But anyhow, that, that book cleared the deck psychologically. And, and after I read that book, I think I became, I'll just say, a better person. And it freed me up to do other things, which I, which I alluded to, where you know, I started trying out new things. I began volunteering. And uh, I went to this local history museum, and I started doing some things about being a docent or uh, doing some scanning and saving documents. But I ended up taking over the website. I saw that the website could be improved. I had never done anything with the website before. But I said, hey, you know, I'm willing to give it a try. So I took over the website, and I learned so much. I think I made their website better. So I, I, I was then able to say, gee, you know, I feel good about that. I can, I can do website stuff. And I next volunteered at Sun Sounds of Arizona. And uh, I got comfortable with recording and my own voice and the whole world of audio. So I put those skills together, and I said, you know, now I can go back and maybe help our friends and family and, and other folks by sharing our retirement experience by developing a website and doing things like podcasting to share our experience to help inform and inspire other people. So it all started just starting to come together by doing the inventory, trying new things, and then leveraging what I was learning from those new experiences into something that was perhaps more of my own creation, such as retirement journeys and my podcast and the various things that I, that I do on retirement journeys. Wow, that is awesome. Thank you for that story. I had no idea that that's how your path went. You never know, right? I wake up every day and I say, you never know what today is going to bring. So you look back over a succession of unplanned days and you're just amazing, like you say, how, how the path takes you, where it leads you. Yeah, it's really amazing. You know, I hear the story of how people get out of their depression over and over. And I don't know if you were depressed, but, you know, something yeah. was off. And they, they over and over, I hear that people do that by volunteering. Yeah, I mean, volunteering is one way to do it. I happen to know, we happen to know some people, um, I want to say specifically, who does a lot of volunteering, but is still depressed. And so I'm not, not trying to contradict it. I'm just saying that, you know, if for some for some of us, and I'll put myself in that category, volunteering is great, but it's not enough. There's an inner analysis that sometimes has to be processed and being becoming aware of your own psychological and emotional challenges or issues. That takes a lot of introspection. And then they figure out, well, how do I deal with this, right? Can I do it myself? Do I need to seek some additional help or, or what? So volunteering, I think, is great because it, it checks that, that box or starts that activity about what to do, starts a social engagement, gives you some purpose. But some of us, <laughs> you know, we, we have to dig deeper. We have to dive deeper and uh, address things that are, are really inherent, you know, in, in our lives. And, and that's uh, where that book came in. Yeah. And I've since recommended it to other people who I see dealing with things that are holding them back. And I just feel that sometimes it's better to just resolve those anger issues and the, the blaming, whether it's someone or yourself that you're blaming, and just find a way to let it go. And, and that's what that book did for me. And, and thank God I, I did that because, uh, you know, we've gone from, you know, that whole trauma and uh, uh, disenchantment to finally being able to um, accept being happy and, and thriving in retirement. 
That's good. You know, my pastor says that, you know, forgiveness isn't about the other person. It's about you. It's about you letting go and you being able to move on with your life. It's really sort of a gift to yourself. Um, did, did you find that to be the case as well? I mean, is your, is your father still alive? No, no. He's been gone a long time. So you couldn't really work that out with him personally because he was gone. Um, so really the forgiveness was really, sounds like it was for yourself as well. Well, that's how it turned out. I mean, I had, I had to, I'd say forgiveness is maybe another way of looking at forgiveness is I had to see him as a human being, as a complete, full human being, and, and not as this monster that I had, um, you know, uh, framed him as. So I had to accept him and see him as, as a human being. And there were two key concepts in the book that um, helped with that. One was empathy and one was sympathy. Now, I, I could never empathize with my father, which um, to me means I could never put myself in his shoes and uh, because I didn't have the same um, issues and problems he had, and I could never imagine myself doing the things that he did. So I really couldn't say I empathize with him, but I could feel sympathy for him. I could see the things where I, I, I felt sorry for him, and I wish things could have been different uh, on so many different levels. So um, by being able to humanize him, I was able to, quote unquote, forgive him. That just really meant I saw him as a person who was deeply flawed. And there may be many, many reasons that I'll never know why he behaved the way he did. I just said, you know, I, I, I can't keep using him in a negative way or seeing him negatively so that it would be affecting how I viewed myself and how it affected my life and my relationship. So in the process of going through that, I, I realized that you know, if there's anything of him that was in me that I haven't been able to exercise, that I can forgive myself for any of those connections or what I would call um, weaknesses. I could forgive myself um, because some of those things were out of my control, but a lot of those things I already worked past and anything that still remained, I could still improve upon. So it, it inspired me to uh, continuously try to be a better person and if I can't do it myself, I sure have my wife there to help me because uh, she's made me a much better person, too. <laughs> and I didn't have to read any book. <laughs> That's great. That's good. Okay. So working on yourself made you able to um, go through that reorientation phase. And so I'm assuming that you're now in the routine phase. Is that correct? Ab absolutely. Yes. And the goal of that uh, phase, um, that stage, retirement routine, is to master a comfortable and rewarding lifestyle. And, you know, some people achieve this shortly after they retire, and that would be my wife, where, you know, she had this, she, she took path number two, if you remember back on the, um, the, the three paths under retirement, which was the uh, uh, immediate retirement routine. So for my wife, she just really seamlessly transferred into this retirement routine because she had all her activities and she was just something she was looking forward to. Her lifestyle was, was rewarding. Um, some of us, like me, because we were on the honeymoon phase and we we're kind of blinded by, um, you know, the busyness of the honeymoon phase, that when we kind of got to the point where, gee, my calendar doesn't have anything on it anymore, you go, gosh, you know, now what? And so our, our, our experience is, is different than people like, like my wife, and, and we have to figure out what it's going to take to get us into retirement 2.0. 
in order to in, in order to achieve a you know this rewarding happy lifestyle. And so you're is that so that's something that you continue to work on? Oh, all the time. But we're I think we're we're in it, and anything we do now is additive that we have reached or attained what I consider to be a thriving in retirement. And you know, we've gone out and made new friends, as I mentioned. We have new activities. I feel that I have purpose. We've taken care of all of our health care and legal affairs. Um, and for me, I enjoy doing what I love to do every day. And it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, one of the people that I had on one of my podcasts cited a quote that, eh, I don't know if this is true, but it's attributed to James Dean. <laughs> and I'm sure you've heard it. It goes, dream as if you will live forever. Live as if you will die tomorrow. Okay, so I probably took that a little bit too literally because I really thought about it as if, you know, tomorrow I'm going to be dead. What what would I want today to be like? And um, it inspired me to um, write a blog post called Live for Today Routinely. And I just go through what my average day is like and how much I just thoroughly enjoy my my average routine lifestyle. And I think for me that just sort of reinforces the fact that I have a, a comfortable and rewarding lifestyle. I feel I'm thriving in retirement, and I appreciate the journey that I had to undergo to get to this point, but I'm not looking to do wild and crazy things. If something like that happens, it's great, but it's not my life. It's not my total inspiration. My average day is great. Um, just keep it simple, spend it with my wife, do the things I love doing. <laughs> that's awesome. And if somebody wants to see your average routine, um, that's on your website. Is that correct? It, it is. It is. They would just have to look for live for today live um, for under today. the search. Yeah. So they would go to retirementjourneys.com and search for live for today for that. Yeah. For that yeah article. And, and that article will pop up. That's awesome. Now I'm, I'm just going to touch on one thing, and you may or may not know the answer to this, but what about when a family member needs caregiving? Does that kick you back into one of the other areas like disenchantment or reorientation? Because that can really rock your world when that happens. Yeah, I think first of all, like a lot of these models, the stages aren't necessarily linear. You, You can go back and forth and they can overlap, which they did in my case. So if you're presented with a a change in your life, again, it could cycle you back to disenchantment because those feelings, whatever, however you define them or experience them, can make you start to feel the same emotions of disenchantment, right? You can start to feel that you're disappointed, that you feel overwhelmed, that you're basically you're not happy. And you're just saying, gosh, you know, how did it get to this point? Why did it turn out this way? You can start asking yourself those questions. And you can spiral down and find yourself feeling unhappy. And then you just have to, at some point, snap out of it and go through the same reorientation again, reevaluating why you feel the way you do and figuring out how you're going to cope with it, how you're going to deal with it so that you can find yourself and maybe go on to retirement 3.0. So, yeah, so if you're dealing with a family member it's who's, who's um, you know in bad health, or they have to go into some sort of assisted living or nursing home, it can be very stressful and it can pull you back. And you're just going to have to find a way to not only physically manage it, but mentally manage a situation so that 
And I think for a lot of us, it's it's gaining control, not not letting it control you. You control that. And uh, I haven't had to go through that, so I can't speak uh, specifically from experience. But to answer your question, I think, yeah, someone can drop back down into that, that disenchantment phase because the retirement essentially their experience isn't matching their expectations. So again, you may have to change your expectations. You have to get control of the situation. And somehow you have to get to a point where you're, you're more optimistic um, and you're, you're doing things that, that you want to do, which is challenging because, you know, we have a neighbor who had to take care of her dad and her mom and she was just had no time for herself. So I'm not underestimating the challenge, but awareness I think is critical so that you can say, okay, I'm in this stage at some point I need to get out of it. Maybe you're just stuck in that stage for a while, but at least the awareness makes you know that it too will pass and that there will be better days ahead. Right, right, absolutely. Okay, well, wow, you have given up so much knowledge and information. I really appreciate your coming on the show. Is there anything else that you would like to tell the listener before we say goodbye? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, be happy to. So, one of the things I, I, I like to um, uh, impart to people is you know, what are some of the things that have helped me um, besides the six stages of retirement model? And uh, there are a couple of books I thought were really, really helpful, really, really good. And if it's okay with you, I could just sort of um, rattle them off. Please. So um, Bart Astor, who I who uh, I know you know, uh, his book, AARP's Roadmap for the Rest of Your Life, great resource, very comprehensive. Uh, Jan Cullinane, she wrote AARP's The Single Woman's Guide to Retirement. Again, sort of a niche, but a very important niche to, to address. And uh, when it came to that sixth stage of retirement, the one where you go to heaven, uh, Sharona Hoffman wrote a book called Aging with a Plan. And, and again, a lot of personal stories and information, but you know, very helpful in terms of saying, you know, you need to have a plan as, as you go through um, life from the standpoint of we're all going to eventually have to deal with, uh, you know, slowing down, getting older, and it's best to manage that phase of your life than having events and your health manage you. Websites that I like for finance, I like Fidelity and Investopedia. I did a great, well, a really cool, I think, interview with Ronnie Bennett, who writes about what it's like getting old and being old. I think Ronnie's maybe 76, 77, and she's a real pistol. Her website, Time Goes By, is very entertaining. I like the lifestyle section of the Huffington Post. So there's just some of the things that I like, SSA.com for Social Security and Medicare. So if, if your um, listeners are so inclined, they can check those out. And uh, to just sort of leave, hopefully, a, a, a positive, upbeat note, I was sent an article by a retirement journeys reader, and the, uh, the title of the article is, Americans over 65 share their greatest regret in life, and the most common one may surprise you. And here, here it is. There's actually two, uh, two things here, but the first one is, the quote is, I wish I hadn't spent so much of my life worrying. <laughs> and, and the second one is attributed to June Driscoll, who is over 90 years old and living in a nursing home. And she said, it's my responsibility to be as happy as I can right here today. That is a great quote. Thank you so much for that. Thanks for coming on the show. Now, Ted can be reached at retirementjourneys.com. 
You can also find his podcast by going to any podcast catcher, such as iTunes, Podcast Addict, any of the ones that you like. And um, for my listener, we'll see you next time on Rock Your Retirement. Thanks for listening to the Rock Your Retirement show. If you are rocking your retirement or know someone who would make a great guest on our show, please send us an email at podcast at rockyourretirement.com. Oh, wait. I wanted to thank you again for listening to the Rock Your Retirement Show. If you're a new listener, a good place to start is episode 116. This explains the six pillars of retirement lifestyle and our general philosophy. Episodes 1 through 236 can be thought of as an encyclopedia. These are topics that may or may not be interesting to you. You can listen to the ones that you're interested in and forget the rest until the issue becomes an issue for you. And that's okay. I actually don't recommend starting with episode one and working through until the most recent. That's actually not how the show was designed. Of course, if you want to do that so you can see how the show changed over time, you're welcome to. Now, starting in August... Actually, August 31st of 2020, we changed the format of the show. The monthly episodes starting with 237 follow a real retiree from her pre-announcement through her first year of retirement. There might be bonus episodes, but we're committed to monthly. If you've enjoyed any of our past shows or the show that you just listened to and you want to support us, you can do so in any of the four ways. One, share this episode with a friend or family member who needs to hear it. This is the most important way that people find us. Since our audience is typically older, we grow by having our listeners share our episodes with others. Two, subscribe to or follow the show using whatever podcast catcher you're listening on right now. Now, if you're listening on your computer, you can listen on your smartphone by going to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, iHeartRadio, Spotify. I mean, I believe on all of them. If you can't find us on the podcast catcher that you'd like to use, send us a note on the website at rockyourretirement.com and we'll make sure that we get on your favorite podcast app. But basically, what you do is you download the app, and then you search for the show, and when you find it, you'll hit subscribe. Make sure it's the Rock Your Retirement Show, and that you hear my voice when you listen. Um, actually, there were some episodes where Henry Shapiro was a guest. Uh, we, we actually downloaded some of his episodes. So if you hear him, it's probably still the, the same show. There were maybe 34 or 35 episodes back in the beginning that we hosted on our show. 
uh, when he decided to leave podcasting. Number three, how you can support us is by leaving a review. Whatever podcast app you're listening to normally has the option of leaving a review, either a written review saying how great the show is or just with stars. Five stars is typically the best. And of course, we're shooting for those five-star reviews. And if you tell us why you like the show, what you liked about it, it's actually easier for other people to understand what the show's about. A lot of people, when they find our show, they think it's about money. And of course, by now, you know that it's not. Number four, if you'd like to support us financially, of course, we're always appreciative of that. Just go to rockyourretirement.com slash support, and it will take you to our page where you can support us financially. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on Rock Your Retirement. Bye.